Wild times in Whistler. This is just not the time to travel interprovincially. Infections spike and out-of-town visitors keep coming. So are new restrictions next. Another young man gunned down in a drive-by shooting. Shut the light, shut the light off, quickly. Witnesses record the panicked reaction from his friend. And a shocking assault on a bus driver. No, give me your information, give me your information. Give me your information. The search for the young woman who threw punches and a lot more. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off today. Premier John Horgan says he's not ready to implement stricter travel restrictions in BC, at least not yet, even with growing evidence that many people are flouting the current guidelines. Horgan responding today to the news that one other Canadian province is tightening up its travel rules. Richard Zussman reports. First it was this from Dr. Bonnie Henry. For the next two weeks, I am asking you to do more. Then this from Premier John Horgan. I ask you to dig down a little bit deeper. Find that extra gear. A year after the first case of COVID-19 confirmed here in British Columbia, frustration has long set in. Many asking themselves, what more can I give? We talk about uh, COVID fatigue. It's COVID exhaustion. Let's be honest about this. People are frustrated. They're angry. And when they see other people disregarding the very rules that they're trying to abide by, it's offensive to them. It's offensive to me. While government asks for more from British Columbians, British Columbians are asking what more government will do. One thing that's been ruled out is a 14-day quarantine for those arriving here from out of province, something Manitoba is now doing. Uh, if, we, if we see uh, through uh, public health that, that an increase in the number of people from outside of British Columbia is contributing significantly to the increase in community outbreaks, we'll take action. We don't want to wait that until there's a significant impact. We know that cases are being brought in. There's data to show that. The province worried about enforcement logistics, including borders with Alberta and Yukon. But experts say a quarantine would immediately reduce travel and make the monitoring easier. What I found worrying about the statement, you know, we have a lot of points of entry into BC. That means a lot of people are coming in. And that's maybe even uh, an argument for even, you know, tightening it up more. The province also could introduce travel surcharges at hotels or airports or require travelers to pay for a quarantine hotel or testing. The more that you can put in to make it unattractive to come to BC for the, for the moment, then we'll have lower numbers and we won't have to you know, police it in a hard way the way that uh, perhaps other countries have done so. And a reminder to visitors, beautiful BC will still be here when the fear of mass spread of COVID-19 is over. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And there's a lot of concern about climbing case numbers at resorts like Whistler and Big White, where despite the COVID restrictions, the resorts are still getting visitors from across B.C. and from all over Canada. Sarah McDonald reports. The slopes may be quieter than ever at the height of winter ski season, but that hasn't stopped a recent surge of COVID-19 in Whistler. We've seen uh, an uptick in cases and it's concerning. The resort municipality and regional health officials now doubling down on efforts to curb the spread, most of which attributed to indoor community transmission, with several high-profile establishments forced to close over exposures and positive staff. This is just 
not the time to travel interprovincially. And I'd ask people to heed that warning to stay home. Clearly not everybody is. We're just visiting, we wanted to shred some gnar. These guys here for just a few days from Banff, while insisting they're following local rules and advisories, besides avoiding non-essential travel. I mean, we are, we like, oh, I don't even have, I only have this mask on, but I just came down from the slope, so. Something the province says it can't legally restrict, but. You better follow our public health guidelines or we'll come down on you like a ton of bricks. Already well over 100 COVID-19 cases have been confirmed here in the past four weeks alone. A concerning trend compared to 2020 with less than 300 cases altogether all year. In the past two months, 15 violations have been issued by the RCMP, with seven $2,300 fines handed out in nearly as many weeks and one traveler charged under the Federal Quarantine Act just last week. And I've also met quite a few people from out of country. I guess there's not much you can do with so many tourists coming in and out of town. Still others, including health officials, primarily point to high-density housing, with school exposures also rising. I see like at the staff house, yeah, people listen to party a lot. Something we didn't witness firsthand and something this yeah. staff resident denies. All the staff residents here are doing their absolute best, the best you can do when you're in a situation of four people to a room. A living situation not uncommon in all sectors of this resort economy. At least a dozen employees at one of its most expensive hotels. Now positive too. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Whistler. Well, here are the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C. We have 485 new cases, bringing B.C.'s total to 65,719. And we lost four more people. That is the lowest number in two months, but provincial deaths are now at 1,172. 303 people are in hospital, 74 of those patients in the ICU. 58,778 people are considered recovered, leaving us with nearly 4,300 active cases and just over 6,500 in self-isolation. We'll bring in Keith Baldry once again with more on some of these concerns, Keith, around ski hills, travel mm -hmm. and transmission rates. What have you got? Yeah, John Horgan today, again, for the first time, singling out ski hills as an area of concern. As Sarah pointed out in her story, all sorts of factors at play here. People living in cramped living conditions with great numbers. It's not a problem on the hills themselves. It's what happens afterwards, primarily with parties where you see transmission. The Premier hinting, dropping broad hints today, action may be coming at ski hills and ski resorts. Here's John Horgan. The resort operators, the hill operators, are doing what they can to make sure that public health orders are, are uh, being accounted for in the activity. It's when people leave the hill and look for the party that we're seeing transmission. And that's where we're very concerned. Now, a reminder, in tomorrow's night's news hour, of course, we're going to have our town hall with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix from 6.30 to 7, of course, and we'll be streaming online on Facebook Live as well, also on BC1 and CKNW Radio. And, Chris, of course, you'll be asking the questions of those two on behalf of the viewers who sent basically an avalanche of questions our way, a lot of them about vaccinations and other aspects of the pandemic. We're into a whole new field here with the vaccination rollout. It's going to be interesting to see the response to the many questions we've received. There are definitely some some themes that are emerging here now a year yeah. into the pandemic for sure. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Look forward to that tomorrow night for sure. In other news now, a Vancouver police officer will be off the beat for at least several weeks 
after suffering a broken leg in an altercation with a man who was refusing to wear a face mask. The fight happened inside the courthouse. Nadia Stewart has the story. It happened at the courthouse on 800 Hornby Street in Vancouver on Tuesday. It's unclear why he was there, but police say the incident stemmed from a man who refused to put on a mask. Upon entering, he was asked by the sheriffs there to put on a mask or leave the building. But he allegedly refused, and he also refused to leave the building. Two VPD officers who happened to be at the courthouse stepped in to assist. Police say the 55-year-old man who has no criminal record began arguing with the officers when one of them grabbed his backpack, an altercation ensued. He allegedly kicked one of the police officers and attempted to reach for his firearm. While the officers were attempting to get him into custody, an altercation ensued, and this man fell on one of the legs of the officers, resulting in the officer breaking his leg. 55-year-old Merritt Green, a former local broadcaster, is now facing charges of aggravated assault and assaulting and attempting to disarm a peace officer. It's an example of you know, a lot of the frustration that's out there with respect to COVID and some of the competing views. And our members are often caught in the middle of, of those public health orders and what people think. Incidents like this involving violence are rare, but the Canadian Police Association says officers have been dealing with pushback from the public, even though they're simply enforcing the rules laid out by the province. It just seems like this is not the type of thing that, that should be leading to anyone being injured, let alone a police officer, while they're simply just trying to do their job. Nadia Stork, Global News. Victoria police are asking for the public's help identifying a suspect in a spitting assault on a BC transit operator. It happened October 29th, just after 6.30 p.m., when the transit operator had to make a sudden stop. A young woman fell from her seat. She then became irate, approached the transit operator, pulled on the plexiglass barrier, and then spat at the operator. The suspect is described as five feet, four inches tall with a slender build. Anyone with information is asked to call Victoria PD. The young woman became extremely irate with the bus driver. She yelled at him. She got uh, in his face across from a plexiglass barrier, obviously due to COVID. Uh, she was smashing on the barrier. She was trying to hit him and then she spat on him several times. Uh, we are looking for this woman. We're hoping that someone in the public recognizes her and can help us identify her. Residents of a Langley neighborhood jolted out of their sleep by a fatal shooting right outside their doors last night. Grace Key is live with the details and some dramatic video of the first moments after the shots were fired. Grace. Yeah, this is a residential area, lots of apartment complexes here. Now, police did clear the scene about an hour ago. But yeah, you can imagine a lot of very frightened residents who still managed to capture some dramatic video. Dramatic dash cam video shows the deadly shooting unfold. At about 11.30 at night, the suspect vehicle, a Dodge truck, pulls up to a Langley neighborhood at 207th Street and 58A Avenue. Suddenly, the truck speeds off. What's believed to be the victim vehicle, a Honda Civic, appears in the lower right-hand corner of the screen. Seconds later, multiple bursts of gunfire. The scene picks up with cell phone video showing the passenger getting out of the Honda, rushing over to the driver, but the door is locked. A neighbor describes what unfolded. And he got back in the passenger side and he tried everything to get the driver's door open uh, to no avail. 
he was panicking because obviously he knew his friend was hit and uh, you know he was trying to help his friend you could see that the passenger starts walking away but moments later police arrive paramedics desperately try to save the driver but the 22 year old man is dead the passenger in his 20s suffered gunshot wounds but is expected to survive about 15 minutes later, a truck matching the description of the suspect vehicle is set on fire at 180th Street and 19A Avenue in South Surrey. Police say it's highly likely the two are connected. Neighbors say they heard several loud bursts. We just kept hearing these bangs. There was at least five of them that we heard. It was kind of scary because we didn't know what it was. Back in Langley, the Honda is seen riddled with bullets and the ground littered with shell casings. According to police, it's too early to say if this murder is linked to the area's ongoing deadly gang conflict. This has all the hallmarks of a targeted hit. Our victim was known to police and we believe that his murder may be uh, linked uh, to the drug trade. So as always, investigators are looking for any dash cam or cell phone video. So if you were in the area of the Langley shooting or that Surrey car fire, you are asked to contact police. Chris? All right. Grace Key reporting from Langley. Thank you, Grace. Vancouver makes it harder to keep a car in the city. The latest plan to clear the curbs with citywide parking permits. How much it could cost you in just over a minute. A startling decline in ocean creatures. What researchers are learning about the disappearance of sharks and rays. That's coming up on the News Hour. And a golf pro handicapped by thieves who stole his clubs. How he got them back later. Right now, though, Vancouver City Hall is exploring a plan to charge an annual fee for all on-street parking citywide. Those fees are expected to start at about $45 annually while owners of older vehicles and gas guzzlers could pay even more. Jordan Armstrong reports. Believe it or not, the majority of Vancouver's street parking is still unregulated. No signs, no posted restrictions. But that could be changing. What we're proposing is uh, exploring the idea of a citywide parking permit uh, program. He says this is about managing the parking supply and demand. But clear throughout Vancouver's recent Climate Emergency Action Plan study is the city's disdain for the automobile. It wants two-thirds of all travel by 2030 to be on foot, bicycle, or public transit. This councillor supports parking permits citywide. It's an important part of our Climate Emergency Action Plan, and uh, and I'm proud of that plan. It really tackles the crisis, the climate crisis at the scale that we need to act. If the plan is finalized, permits could start around 30 to $45 a year. Some question how that's supposed to dissuade anyone from driving. Usually, if it's a city, it's, it's a cash grab. I understand the war against cars, uh, but uh, we use them a lot and we need them. So, like, if you're visiting a friend's house... Uh, do you need a permit to park outside their house? You might, perhaps through an app on your phone. Another of the questions now surfacing, what about the hundreds of marginalized folks who call an unregulated parking spot home? Even if it's a zero-dollar permit, uh, again, for us, it gives us a lot of information how long that vehicle's been sitting there. The proposed residential parking implementation citywide across Vancouver is about the management of public space, but it is also definitely about revenue. Um, and staff have estimated, and there was a figure 
are given a potentially $15 million per year. Residents have until February 28th to give feedback at shapeyourcity.ca slash parking. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. All right, we've had a chance of snow a few times over the last few days. It hasn't quite materialized at sea level, at least. But meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on who saw it today, who didn't, and how our winters have changed quite a bit over the past few decades. The evolution of snow is quite shocking. But yes, first, the kids on Vancouver Island, very lucky today. Two to ten centimeters of a very heavy wet snow. But Nanaimo was certainly one of the hardest hit areas. But they saw snow in Campbell River, Comox, and southern Gulf Islands as well. The lower mainland, it tried. We did see some snow in some higher elevation communities, Port Moody, Westwood Plateau. But this was really the worst of it for most areas. Trying, trying. Uh, now, you can't attribute one event or one season to climate change. But when you look look at these 30-year averages, it's quite shocking. So this is the evolution of snow at YVR through the month of January. And when you took, take the averages through a 30-year average, so 1951 to 1980, 25.7 centimeters of snow is what we typically would have gotten. Take that forward to the most recent 30-year average, 10.2. A very shocking difference. And when you look at the month of January as a whole throughout Canada, parts of uh, the Arctic as well, we've always seen an increase in temperature, in particular, just the, the difference between this last 30 years and the one up to 2020. So shocking difference. Certainly climate change is happening and it means not a lot of fun snow for the kids. Yeah, unfortunately, but the numbers don't lie, do they? Thanks very much, Christy. All right, still ahead, step onto the elevator and pick a floor without pushing a button. Touchless elevator was uh, uh, something that we had heard about. Made in BC technology that's helping keep immunocompromised children safe. Also tonight, how they're going to keep crowds safe at the Super Bowl. Kingsway eastbound at Wilson Avenue in Burnaby is it got a very bad crash blocking all eastbound traffic here. You got to turn left or turn right onto Wilson. So best to take Patterson instead before you hit this lineup while they clear up this crash. Westbound is still open. Save on foods and save on time. Shop online then swing by for quick, safe and free curbside pickup. Super savings online now at saveonfoods.com. In Global One above Metrotown, I'm Tim Main. Leave BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross. Flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Well, a Metro Vancouver golf instructor has some valuable property back in his possession. Thanks to a couple of alert Vancouver police officers. Former amateur golfer Brandon Wang has recovered his custom-made golf clubs after they were stolen from his car in West Vancouver on Monday. Not long after they were taken, a couple of Vancouver police officers noticed a man carrying some expensive-looking clubs into the flea market on East Hastings. After questioning the man, they discovered the theft. Definitely, when we see golf clubs like that, especially high-end ones that look new to us, that is very uh, specific as to something that shouldn't be in the market itself. Roughly four hours, I got a call from the police department saying, hey, uh, we found your club and uh, I just rushed to the, the police department and took them back. I, I was really, really surprised by that, yeah. I was really, really thankful. I mean, the fact he called in right away was really great as well, because again, we'll recover property down here. If they don't call in and report it, unfortunately that property goes and it sits in the property office and sometimes never recovered and ends up a police auction. Wang says he was amazed at how quickly he got his clubs back and says it shows the benefits of reporting thefts to police. 
A Vancouver company is adapting some of its cutting-edge medical technology to help everybody keep their hands clean. NZ Technology has been developing touchless equipment for operating room doctors and nurses. When COVID hit, they realized that equipment could have wider uses. And now their prototype touch-free elevator is in action at Ronald McDonald House. Aaron MacArthur reports. Getting in the elevator at Ronald McDonald House is now a little less worrisome. A recently installed touchless keypad means sick kids, their parents and staff don't have to physically touch anything to change floors. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, not only fun because you're not really touching anything, but it does give another level of, level of comfort for the, uh, for the family. The technology is called HoverTap. NZ Technologies, based in Vancouver, took touchless technology that it developed for operating rooms and transferred it out into the world. There were a lot of stories around like elevators and like, you know, how contaminated the surface are. Because of that, um, we decided, okay, let's see how we can do this. The tech is built around an electromagnetic field. A user's finger is detected and artificial intelligence learns where the user is pointing. From a distance of about three centimeters, people can push the elevator button. So the real challenge for us was to how to overcome the installation of this device inside the elevator. And our partnership with West Coast Elevator was really strategic in, 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 in order to make that happen. No touch surfaces are coming to buildings in the very near future. HoverTap is unique. It can be retrofitted onto existing elevator panels. We have a very dedicated team. We were working days and nights to really push this whole thing forward in order to make it available sooner. The possibilities are endless. Bank machines, ordering kiosks at fast food restaurants, anywhere that people frequently touch can soon be touchless. Post-pandemic, a technology people would readily accept. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up ahead, a money laundering lockdown. It just makes good sense that we as investigators would not allow for that traction, transaction to take place. The Cullen Commission hears what works now and what didn't work in the years the dirty money flowed into BC casinos. Also, COVID around the world. Compare BC with the backlash happening in other countries. Highway 1 moving well again due to this uh, truck trailing a, uh, towing a boat rather, has finally been cleared out of the way. So uh, east and westbound across the iron workers, nice and clear. And clearing up down the cut, it was quite busy for most of the afternoon. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage. And Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. In Global 1 above Highway 1, I'm Tim Maine. Well, even with more than 100 million reported cases of COVID-19 around the world, the Tokyo Olympics are still on track for this summer. Global's Charmaine Somani has more on the global picture in the fight against coronavirus. Even with most of Japan under a state of emergency because of the coronavirus pandemic, the International Olympic Committee is determined to go ahead with the Summer Games in Tokyo on July 23rd. The event was meant to be held last year but was postponed due to the pandemic. This Olympic year will be exceptional uh, because uh, it uh, uh, will uh, last not only 12 months uh, but it will last 14 months. 
With the contagious variant of COVID-19 driving a rise in infections in South Africa, emergency approval was granted for the AstraZeneca vaccine. The government has agreed to pay for 1.5 million doses which are being produced by the Serum Institute of India and expected to be delivered this month. Clashes erupted in northern Lebanon as frustration over its lockdown boiled over in Tripoli. The region is one of the poorest in the country and most residents have been unable to work because of the restrictions. Riots and looting in Amsterdam as well as demonstrators rallied against the enforcement of curfews. Protests have calmed down for now but many stores in Amsterdam barricaded their windows to prevent damage from further demonstrations. Peru has enforced a strict lockdown for 10 of its states till February 14th, an attempt to bring the daily case numbers and help overwhelmed hospitals. Peru's COVID-19 death toll has surpassed 40,000. It is clear that there are still too many people coming in and out of our country each day. Travelers arriving into Britain from high-risk COVID-19 countries will have to quarantine for 10 days in government-provided accommodation, and those wishing to leave the country will need to provide a reason for their departure. Sharmin Samani, Global News. For months, the Cullen Commission has heard from former police officers, gaming regulators, and casino operators that they weren't empowered to enforce the province's existing anti-money laundering rules. But today... The current head of gaming enforcement says his unit is now meeting the challenge head on. John Waugh reports. As bags full of suspected dirty cash float into B.C. casinos, the Cullen Commission has heard plenty of testimony that for years casino investigators felt powerless to stop it. It just makes good sense that we as investigators would not allow for that transaction to take place. We thought it was illegal. What a difference it seems clear direction and political will can make. Kerry Skrine tasked back in 2018 to review the enforcement power of BC's gaming regulator. I do believe there could be incidents uh, where it would be appropriate for us to ask the service provider to refuse uh, the transaction. It's a stark contrast to a time when gaming policy and enforcement branch investigators believed proceeds of crime and money laundering investigations were off limits. The money laundering uh, aspect is is a police investigation that uh, is outside the uh, purview of my status. And the directive was given not to question casino patrons about their suspicious cash. And is that because it was your understanding from your superiors that you were not supposed to do that because of the potential danger involved? That's correct. Skrine telling the Cullen Commission as unarmed special constables, investigators can question players using a risk-based approach. Depending on the risk assessment, uh, they find ways to mitigate that uh, risk, which could include having uh, a police officer attend. A necessary step in becoming a regulator capable of tackling money laundering around the clock and in real time. Given we uh, were present and that these actions could occur at the time we were present at the casino, that we could take a more proactive role in responding to those incidents. With no clear changes to the Gaming Control Act or investigator powers as special constables, it begs the obvious question. But those could have been implemented years ago by GPEP, couldn't they have? I can't answer that. A question the Cullen Commission needs answered by those in charge of BC's gaming regulator in the past, starting at the very top. John Hua, Global News. Victoria's Savon Foods Memorial Arena is once again going to be used to help house the city's homeless. Starting in March, as many as 45 people will be moving into the arena where individual pods will be set up. 
The residents will have access to meals, health care and support workers. The arena was put to the same use from May until September of last year. Yeah. The new lease is in place until the end of May, but it can be extended. Still ahead, a very loud battle over the Bayview Squawker. It goes once a minute, every minute for a full 15 seconds. Noise. Oh, it's terrible. The noise that has neighbors at their wits end. And after more than 450 million years on this planet, why sharks and rays are in a battle for their survival. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A new study shows a stunning decline in two critical ocean species. The report, led in part by Simon Fraser University researchers, says the global populations of sharks and rays have plunged at a shocking rate over the last 50 years. Linda Aylesworth has the details. Sharks and rays are survivors, the ocean's top predators for 450 million years. Sharks were on our planet before we even had trees on land. You know, sharks were here hundreds of millions of years before dinosaurs. But in a matter of decades, another top predator has driven three quarters of their species to the brink of extinction. Well done, human race. They're not super well equipped to cope with high levels of hunting and fishing that we have brought to the oceans. SFU professor Nick Dulvey is a shark specialist with the Global Shark Trends Project, which has gathered data on the decline of these animals over the past 50 years. There's been a 70% decline in the abundance of sharks and rays since our arbitrary start date of 1970. The problem? Sharks don't produce a lot of offspring during their lives, which makes it impossible for the population to recover when the number of fishing vessels has doubled and the catch has tripled since this study began. It means that there's 18 times greater chance of a shark being killed today than there was in 1970. In spite of growing awareness around the world, fisheries like the particularly cruel one for shark fins, used to make shark fin soup, are thriving. Sharks have become increasingly valuable over time for their fins, rays for their gills, for their livers, which are used for oil, but primarily for their meat. In spite of the fact that over the last six years there's been some increase in international trade and fishing regulations, the problem continues to grow. Many nations are not living up to their international commitments, so nations to simply deliver on what politicians have committed to in recent years. And to act soon, because an ocean without sharks and rays is an ecosystem in trouble. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Hard to imagine it. All right, let's check in with Christy now and a look at uh, weather. And yeah, people have been posting all kinds of pictures up on the North Shore Mountains where the snow is mm -hmm. supposed to fall. Yes, yeah, so that's been lucky. Still lots of snow there, that's for sure. But I wanted to show you this. We're really just on the northern edge of this major upper-level low that swung onto the coast. Parts of California were the hardest hit. They had significant heavy rain along coastal regions and 30 inches of snow inland, blizzard-like conditions. So if you don't like snow, we were on the lucky side of things, that's for sure. Now, tonight, we still do have a slight chance of an isolated flurry. These are the areas where we could see it. Inland regions, including the Malahat of Vancouver Island, 
potentially along the East Coast, Sunshine Coast, inland regions up towards Whistler. And I'm also thinking the northeastern portion of Metro Vancouver. So uh, Coquitlam and out towards Maple Ridge and then out through the Fraser Valley. But we don't have a lot of moisture. We're talking about a few wet flurries. I'm just warning you because you may see that fall from the sky, but it wouldn't amount to much, that's for sure. And it really is going to push out through the morning hours. Uh, As we head into the afternoon tomorrow, we should see some breaks of blue sky. We've got two pretty nice days on the way, although we are going to continue to see some snowfall in the interior regions. So Columbia, Kootenai region, 5 to 10 centimeters of snow for you. Lighter amounts through the Okanagan Valley. That's the snowfall total through until the end of the day tomorrow. Now, northern BC, sunshine, but boy, cold, with highs around minus 20, yes, and wind chills even lower than that. And down through the south is where all the action is, especially, as I mentioned, in through that Columbia and the Kootenai region, 5 to 10 centimeters of snow. Light flurries potentially overnight for our region. Otherwise, showers easing through the morning hours tomorrow. Both Thursday and Friday look really nice before the rain is expected to push back in Friday in the evening hours. And unfortunately, it's looking a little wet for our weekend. So plan some indoor COVID activities, everyone. And check this out, a frozen soap bubble made by Bev in the 100 Mile House region. So yeah, it's just basically a little soap bubble that she's put outside and it's frozen. Very cool. That is really neat. Okay, thanks, uh, thanks, Bev. And thanks, Christy. All right, folks, if you've ever wanted your own private jet but don't have several million dollars, well, Able Auctions has a deal for you. When you walk in, it's all luxury, like 1980s luxury. It's leather seats. Starting today, yes, you can bid on a 1980 British Aerospace 700 Hawker Executive Jet. It seats eight people in the lap of luxury, complete with televisions and a relatively spacious washroom. But... That's the downside. It doesn't have wings, a tail, or even an engine. On the plus side, it does come with the flatbed trailer. Able Auction says the plane was purchased in Denmark in 1994 by a dairy farmer in Abbotsford who originally planned to rebuild it. It's been sitting on his farm ever since, and now he's decided to sell it. Able Auction says the fancy fuselage could go for anywhere from $10,000 to $30,000. I don't know. Maybe it could be a cabin out in the woods for somebody or something. Who knows? <laughs> That's true. Is there such a thing as 80s luxury? Well, yes. trying to think back to the 80s. Like, what would be 80s luxury, really? I don't know. Some of those big old Lincoln Town cars, mm-hmm. you know? It's yeah, whatever gold, it is, it's gold, Marcia says. Do you, think, right. do you think that Adore. those seats are fine Corinthian leather? <laughs> or is that 70s luxury? I'm not sure. I'm getting my decades mixed up. Uh, We're going to show you what's happening down at Rogers Arena. Canucks and Senators again. It's the second of three games, and this team is the perfect tonic for the Canucks after being slapped around by Montreal last week. Ottawa is truly the worst team in Canada, and the Canucks are taking advantage of that. All right, we'll look uh, forward to that. Thanks very much, Squire. Also, get ready to cover your ears. We'll talk about the Bayview Squawker, a sound so bad and so repetitive, nearby residents don't even want to go outside. Squire is good to go with the sports, thankfully. Yes, I am, actually. (laughs) I'm good to go, and I'm standing where I'm supposed to stand. They always say, 
to me in my ear, are you on your mark? And you know what the mark is? It's a little penny, I think, or something mm -hmm. taped to the floor. Anyway, the uh, thing about this year's NHL schedule, most of the games are like little series, two or three gamers. And if you think of them like series, you should make the playoffs, win at least two of three, preferably in regulation. Don't give the opposition any points because you're all in the same division. Monday night, of course, the Canucks beat Ottawa in game one of three this week against the Sens. And this is a three-game set. And the Canucks could sweep because Ottawa in the North or Canadian division is the weak member of the herd. Elias Pettersson, only two points coming into this game, his shooting percentage at 5%. Canucks get the first one. It's Tyler Mott off a big, juicy rebound from a Tyler Myers chance, and that makes it 1-0. Now, the Canucks allowed 24 Ottawa shots in the first period. 24. But uh, Thatcher Demko, playing his second game in a row, stopped all but one of them. Here is the only one that got behind him, and this was on a power play for the Sens, and Josh Norris, they just kept banging at it until it finally went in. But you often see this. When a team gets a ton of shots and doesn't score on a lot of their chances, they pay for it sooner or later. Mike Riley suddenly loses the ability to skate, and it's Pedersen, Hughes, Miller, red light. One more look. So the lotto line begins to strike. And then it's a Jordy Ben rebound. And it goes to JT Miller. Kind of a rebound. Anyway, Miller makes it 3-1. to one. And then the Canucks on the power play. Besser, they throw it around. There's Pedersen at the top of the circle. Gets it in. So after two, the Canucks who beat them 7-1 on Monday are 4-1 up on the Senators. Jim Rutherford surprised everyone in Pittsburgh today by suddenly announcing he is quitting as the Penguins' general manager. He said it was for personal reasons. So personal, he won't tell you the reason. But he did say it had nothing to do with his health. He feels great. Uh, Patrick Alvine will replace him for now. That means he's the first Swede, I believe, to ever be an NHL GM. Rutherford won two Stanley Cups as the Penguins' boss in 2016 and 17. Now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the first team ever to play the Super Bowl in their home stadium. It has never happened before. And they'll take on the Kansas City Chiefs, of course. But also, this is the COVID world. So it's not going to provide the same kind of home field advantage it would in a normal year. There will be fans allowed in the stadium, but only about a third of the seats are going to be filled. And there will be, as you'd expect, plenty of protocols in place to keep all those fans as safe as possible. It's great to have another Super Bowl in Tampa. Uh, and the NFL is taking precautions and making sure that the management of the Super Bowl site itself is going to be public health friendly. Dr. Jay Wolfson with USF Public Health says proper safety procedures should help limit the risk of exposure to the virus. Similar to Bucks home games during the pandemic, masks are required at all times during the Super Bowl. The NFL will give everyone KN95 masks for protection. Plus, the Super Bowl will be mobile. Tickets and payments for concessions will be on your phone. We're going to have to have an orderly process so that we, we avoid clustering. We were waiting for the NFL to tell us how many people they were going to permit in. It looks like 
about 22,000 people. Normally, 65,000 fans can be seated at full capacity at Raymond James. The NFL cut that down to a third at 22,000. 7,500 of those fans will be vaccinated healthcare workers on the front lines fighting the pandemic. They'll be staggered across the stadium behind non-vaccinated fans. Those fans will have at least three seats between one another on both sides, and no one will sit directly in front or behind them. If they're spread throughout the stadium, then they have these like little pockets. So it reduces the, the virulence of potential community spread. But you've then got, you know, 14,000 other folks who uh, may or may not be vaccinated. So the checkerboarding and the management side is, is going to be important. Uh, let's go to Old Trafford, Manchester United, Sheffield United. Sheffield, bottom of the table. However, they were sitting at the big boys' table today, and they played pretty well. Keen Bryan, first goal to make it 1-0. Then Manchester United would tie it, Harry Maguire in the 64th minute. But what? Sheffield wins it. They throw it around pretty well and then get a bit of a lucky bounce here. Yep, Oliver Burke, 2-1 the final. Sheffield United over Manchester United. There you go. Wow, one for the history books. Here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Chris. We'll have details on how Vancouver has moved a big step closer to becoming the first city in Canada to decriminalize hard drugs. Mayor Kennedy Stewart announcing that Ottawa has agreed to begin formal discussions on decriminalization. The news comes as the mayor reveals a member of his own family has recently died from an overdose. Plus, we'll have more on a former Vancouver news anchor and alleged anti-masker who's accused of breaking the leg of a uh, VPD officer. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. All right, Jay, thank you. And up next, uh, what would you do if you had to listen to the sound of a dying seagull all day, every day? How some Victoria residents are handling it. Coming up. It is nicknamed the Bayview Squawker, a loud seagull repellent device that's become the source of a lot of frustration for some Victoria West residents. Kylie Stanton has more on where the nuisance noise is coming from and what neighbors want done about it. There's construction, traffic, even float planes. Sounds you'd expect to hear living in downtown Victoria. But add this to the mix. There it is. There's the noise again. Every minute of every day for 15 seconds. And you'd probably be pretty fed up as well. You can't unhear it. The noise is the sound of a bird in distress. It comes from a device like this, meant to repel seagulls. The strata council in the building next to Pfeiffer's has been using it for years. Those living in the 10-story tower can't hear it, nor can those living below the roof line in the neighboring building. But if you're anywhere above, this becomes the soundtrack of your life. I was kind of in shock. I thought, you know, good neighbor policy, like, let's come to a compromise. The residents have taken their concerns to the building's strata council and city hall. 
bylaw officers determined the noise was too intrusive at night and had to be turned off and played at a lower volume during the day. But as for getting rid of it altogether, it simply wasn't loud enough to register as a violation. The noise has to be essentially above conversation level in order for them to do something. Making matters worse, the tactic likely isn't very effective. To use something like that continually, uh, usually gulls or whatever your, your target um, birds are, will very quickly ignore it. You know, they're not stupid things. They're, they're very smart birds, actually. There are alternatives like falcon kites or having a raptor come in to scare the gulls away, something nature has taken care of on its own. A pair of nesting peregrine falcons that call the Bayview Towers home seem to be keeping the gulls at bay. And yet the, the noise continues. Pfeiffer's next move is asking City Hall to consider changing its bylaws. In the meantime, this is the only way to stop the squawk. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. It's true, you can't unhear it. I, I could not take much of that, I feel, so, those residents. So the gulls ignore it after a while, so it's kind of like a car alarm to a bird. After a while, it's yeah. like, we'll just ignore it. You don't, yeah, right. you don't. When was the last time you responded to a car alarm in the neighborhood, right? <laughs> True. Uh, okay, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Sure. So we may see some wet flurries over higher elevations, maybe a few key areas overnight. Not much, uh, otherwise just showers into the morning hours, but much drier through the day tomorrow and on Friday. And then it looks like we'll be back into the rain over the weekend. So, yes, plan some indoor activities, everyone. Oh. Yeah, it looks like Mother's it. worst nightmare. <laughs> a rainy weekend. With two two young boys, for yeah. sure. Any update on the Canucks? Uh, still after two periods. All right. They're sitting in the dress room having a Gatorade or something. Having a talk. <laughs> having orange slices. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks very much for watching, everyone. Have a great night, and we'll see you here tomorrow.